Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join me as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today, my guest is... Now, here's the tricky... I'm going to assume that the J is a Y sound, and it's Natalia Kent. Yes. Oh, my God. Good guess. Yes. Very I'm terrible at this game. Every, every week, it's bad. <laughs> Nice. So Natalia Kent, mm -hmm. good to have you here. Thank you. How Thanks are you for doing today? Me. I'm doing excellent. Oh, well, what's your topic today? I'm allowed to say it already? Yeah. You're ready? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> My topic is somatics or embodiment practices. Somatics? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you just translated when you said embodiment practices? Well, they're kind of two different things in okay. a way, <laughs> but I'm going to talk about both somatics and embodiment practices. Do you want to start by telling me what those are? Sure. Um, so soma kind of, it loosely means the body. So when you, when you talk about somatics, you're talking about things that are body oriented. Um, and so embodiment practices is kind of a different way of saying that. But somatics is used for certain kinds of um, therapies. And embodiment practices is kind of uh, maybe more used for like lighter practitioners, for example, like massage work or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a loose generalization, but, um, and I am not an expert. Okay, no, <laughs> I'm just going to talk about my journey through these, through these experiences. We don't want experts. Okay, good. Cause I am definitely <laughs> we not want an curious expert. people, not okay. experts. Yes. So my embodiment practices journey started, I mean, we all live in our bodies, right? Mm. And we all do things. For example, I was very athletic as a kid. I was a big soccer player. Oh, me too. Cool. And mm. a snowboarder. No. And then in my 20s, I got obsessed with running. So I was like a seven mile a dayer. Oh, so, wow. yeah, I think the body mind yoking is like a super important thing for yoking. Yeah, like bringing them together. Okay. I think that's, I think we all reach a certain age and we're like, I need to be more in tune with our body, my body, you know? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I actually kind of went the other way recently where I was like, I'm old. I might as well not like <laughs> give up on the dream of six pack abs and stuff, you know, <laughs> just maintain like a decent wow. cholesterol level and whatnot. Well, that's your balance, right? <laughs> not everybody's supposed to have a six pack. No, I know. <laughs> but I mean, I still held on to the dream pretty late. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well. I did the P. 90x and all of oh, that. Oh, you did. Yeah, but those it, are intense. Yeah, and and like it kind of fucked me up. Like I had a, yeah. a uh, I got too big too fast, and I and like there was just a part of my body that was like always tight, like you know. Mm. So so maybe you needed like some counterbalance practice. Yeah, I just ended up 
giving up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Fair like, enough. For some reason, you know, I, I think there's definitely a healthier way to do it, but, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to be buff. I, mean, I was like, you know, it was early <laughs> on in my LA days. Was I felt all good about myself. It was like right when that was a craze too, you uh-huh. know, so I, I was like, yeah, I was like, why not? You yeah. know, it's free quote unquote. I mean, I paid for it, but <laughs> just in case Beachbody's listening. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but uh-huh. yeah. Fine. Yeah. And then <clears throat> someone introduced me to this guy. I don't even know his name, but he has a book called Supple Leopard. Oh, wow. That title. <laughs> oh my gosh. Supple Leopard? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And and so like I was like, yeah, what? next time I'm going to do the Supple Leopard program. So I bought the what book. What do and you see when you say that title? What do I, I see? I see like uh, a leopard that is like, you know, has just had a massage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it has a lot of stuff with like, uh, you know, it has a lot of things where you use like a, a racquetball or like mm. a tennis ball or baseball to sort of like rub things out of your, like rub tension out of yourself and oh, things like that. Oh, that would help. Like, yeah, like foam rolling, but like right. with balls and whatnot. Okay. Yeah. So you can get like more specific. So what about your experiences with... Uh, <laughs> So it seems like you have something that I can take away from this so well, to, to get me back. Because right now my exercise is Pokemon Go. What is that? Pokemon Go. What is that? You don't know what Pokemon Go is? No. Oh, okay. It's like, it was super popular for like a week back a couple years ago. I would say actually quite a few, but it's basically uh, um, a augmented reality game where you go and you catch Pokemon with your phone. like Oh, I do remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I'll just show you real okay, quick. Okay, Pokemon Go. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's basically like just this big <laughs> Amazing. map. Yes. And then one of the things that's funny about it is I'm starting to realize that like it makes my neck hurt because I'm looking down at the phone. Uh-oh. So it's not the best. Uh-oh. Phone <laughs> neck. Yeah, phone That's a night. real thing. I, I know. Have you heard that it like calcifies in kids and gives them humps? Oh, no. Like permanent humps. Kids no. are get developing like oh, no. from looking at their phone. Oh, no. That's terrifying. <laughs> it is. It's pre- They're like, going to have like horns growing out of their backs. <laughs> <laughs> like it calcifies that much. That'd be amazing. Right? Like the jackalope kind of a thing. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, those poor bunnies. They were cute and now they're scary. Wait, so how? what is a jackalope actually? Is that like a mythical creature or is okay. that a real thing? It's like a weird thing you would find on like postcards from the 70s. But actually what it originates from is that this doctor did testing on rabbits with the human palpanoma virus. Okay. And he put it on their heads and then they would grow these little horns. Oh. Yeah. So like HPV, which is really common now was not that common but it was like being tested on animals sadly and they were putting these crazy i did not know that about hpv though (laughs) so so wild right yeah that it can help you grow horns well that's the thing you you have growths and that's why for women it can lead to cancer Uh, and that's why it's so dangerous yeah it's not a it's not a men's problem but men are carriers yeah yeah as far as I know, I'm not an expert. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I've been told to assume that I have it, even though I'm not 100% sure. Right, but, right. Yeah. super common. Yeah. But it clears in a couple years for most people. Oh, it's not a permanent like thing that you no, have? No, it's not. It's a virus, and your body can clear it. Oh, okay. Most people, if you're healthy. 
this is what I've come to understand, but mm-hmm. I don't, again, I'm not an expert. Yeah. <laughs> Let me be clear. Yeah, do not come for your sex ed to what's please, my thesis, please. do not. <laughs> I am an artist. <laughs> so are you actually getting exercise during the Pokemon Go? Yeah, you just walk from stop to stop. Oh, cool. So like, basically, I just go like on wow. a circular walk. And it's kind of weird, though, because it does put you in this like space where you are in the world, but not in it, you mm-hmm. know, like you're... Yeah. You're walking around and there's this like artificial reality that exists that you're interacting with that wow. nobody else sees. Wow. So it's, it's, it, it can be interesting as an experience. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about your topic. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like. jump in there. Yeah. So, so tell me more. Okay. <clears throat> so for me, um, I guess, you know, I had started saying like we live our lives and we play sports or we have like body experiences. There's no way to like not have your own body Mm. experience. Um, but I'd say about, I don't know, maybe seven, five or seven years ago, I got very interested in, um, this meditation practice called mindful based stress reduction MBSR. And it was mm-hmm. founded by this man named John Kabat-Zinn in a hospital up in Massachusetts to help people who were dealing with trauma and pain. Was he destined to do it because his name was Zen? <laughs> so it's Z-I-N-N. Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. Maybe. Maybe all of the forces came together for him to you, be... Maybe like everybody related to him like he would be. Oh. Talk to him like he was uh, He just looked like Siddhartha. Yoda. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Siddhartha. <laughs> um, I came to this practice. I was like pretty reluctant of... Um, what looked like a big trend in like yoga and meditation to me. Mm. Um, but I came to it through a friend who is also an artist and she took a class in a hospital. Okay. And so I went and took this class, which was like a very sterile, non new agey environment. And yeah. I was like, okay, I'll do that. You know, and I can loosen up a little for this. Are and you anti new agey? No, okay. I'm totally very new agey, but I also buck against things that feel like too big of trends. Yeah, there's definitely like, so you're not a big goat yoga person. So I will not do yoga. Well, (laughs) oh no, I wouldn't do yoga for years, but I just actually a week ago did hot yoga for the first time in my life and Mm. I loved it. So I need to open up. But that's been around for a while. Yeah. That's not necessarily, maybe you need to see how long the trends stay before you jump in. I don't know. It was, I mean... I think it was just always this knee-jerk reaction. Like when I was, I think in seventh grade, Pumas got really popular. And mm. I was like, I'm not getting Pumas. You know, it's just this yeah. whole thing. Like it's just a knee-jerk kind of... any Anyhow, so I took this class in the hospital and it was led by this doctor. And she was very like kind of mathematical and institutional about mm. um, meditation. And I, I, I guess I relate... I relate to that because I have this like kind of engineering side to my thinking. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. This is like a way to function the brain in a different way. And I just Mm. related to it on kind of a practical level. Um, But it also definitely opened up a lot of different realms to me. And I think this was the beginning. What specifically is the practice? Yeah. So that's, this is the beginning of somatics for me. So the main practice is a body scan and it's a 40 minute body scan. So you lay on a mat. In what's called corpse pose, um, just like laying on your back with your hands to your sides and your legs just like gently um, laying there. And you start with, first you become aware of your breath and then you zoom into the toes on your left foot Mm. and you just try to feel them. Yeah, yeah. 
And you're actually completely surprised because you're like, I can't feel most of my toes. At first, you really don't feel anything. And then you're like, oh, wait, I can kind of feel my pinky toe. I think the sock is on the pinky toe. You know, and you you don't move. You don't Mm. move while it's happening. So you're not getting like additional sensation. You're really just trying to feel into what that body part feels like. Mm. And you slowly, slowly move through. So then you release the toes and then you feel the bottom of the foot. And you might be thinking, oh, there's a little bit of tingling or, oh, I feel nothing or, oh, it's cold or I can feel Mm. the dampness or... And you you just kind of start to zoom in and then you go to the top of your foot and then into your bones and your muscles. So you try to feel your marrow, you mean? Not your marrow, but just the bones. Like, are you feeling the structure in any kind of way? Feeling its presence? Yeah. Um, And it's guided. With the class, it was guided Uh always because it's, it's actually really hard to keep the pace and to not be distracted. And even when it's guided, like with any meditation, you're like, hmm. I'm hungry. Uh, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. Oh, there's this person I'm thinking about. You know, you're always running. Mm -hmm. And so with any meditation practice, it's just kind of about realigning. Come back to it. Come back to it. And the body scan has you coming back to your own body, your own experience. And it says, no matter what my experience is, this is what's happening to me. And I give it space and I give it time. And I think there's something deeply profound about letting yourself have that space and Mm -hmm. time. Um, it was originated for people who are going through, um, intense pain and, um, pain medication couldn't help them. Uh, What what the practice does is it, it helps you to feel like the strength in your legs, even if your abdomen really hurts. Okay. My legs are actually really strong and healthy and they feel good. And it helps you also, if you are having pain in your abdomen to just loosen around it. Because a yeah, lot of times yeah. we have pain and we tighten yeah, yeah, and it yeah. makes to it worse it. Yeah. and it, it reverberates. It becomes a feedback loop. Um, since learning this practice, I have learned to really manage my own pain without taking medication. Um, uh-huh. I have, a, I have something that causes me some intense abdominal pain from time to time and I've learned to not have to take medication most of the time, which is really, really helpful. Do you have to stop and do the practice? Yes. You, I have so, to lay down. And just like and drop everything the, yes. and then do it. Well, it's either that or like vomiting from pain. So okay. No, no, no. no. I, I didn't mean like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's... I meant... The, I, well, yeah. the alternative would be to like take the medicine and right. be able to do something. Right. Like to be able to function, but no, I can see... take the medicine and still have to lay down. Okay. Yeah. So, so John Kabat-Zinn, um, he wrote a book called um, Full Catastrophe Living. And it's basically that most of us are walking through our daily lives clenching and holding yes. a lot of pain all the time. We're yeah. making it worse. We feel anxiety. We hold tension in our throat. This in a long-term situation, this is not proven, but... There's a lot of conversation like this is what leads to illness and cancer and um, heart disease and um, digestive problems, you know. And so I think catching it at its root, the whole idea of that book is like, let's go back up the river, catch Mm. the problem before it becomes an extreme problem Mm. and work with it, work with what we have. So that was like the beginning and the basis of my embodiment practice. But this is more of like a Western thing, right? So what it's doing is it's taking Eastern meditation practices. Um, for like example, Zazen? Uh, I don't know Zazen. Okay. 
Um, I was going to say Vipassana does a body scan. Okay. And a lot of people that do MBSR will go on the Vipassana retreats. There are not a lot of centers for MBSR. A lot of people will end up at like insight centers, but then they also recommend going to Shambhala centers. So mm. that's what I've done to just, to if, if I want to work in a group with mm. this, because it's not just the body scan in MBSR. It's also an, it's also a mindfulness practice and there's a walking meditation too. And the walking meditation is also about zooming into the movement of your feet, which is really fascinating as well. Okay. So like, how does that work? So you basically walk in a circle in a room as slow as you possibly can, Uh thinking about each feeling as it comes. So now I feel my toes. Now I feel the ball of my foot. Now I feel the heel of my foot. Now I feel the right toes. Now I feel the ball. Like, and just that over <laughs> and over. It's just the same thing as meditation where you're like, my breath comes in, my breath goes out, my breath comes in, my breath goes out. Mm, I'm hungry. Nope. Breath comes in, breath goes out. You know, it's just that same. So this is like, is there, are there any mantras involved? No. No. So then you're, fo- instead of having a mantra, you focus on, you Feeling. end up, you end up, Focusing on how you feel. How you feel. Yep. And and what's happening for you in your body and saying, this is okay. I think so much of our culture is about like looking out and seeing out and what are other people doing and what's over there and FOMO and this thing's happening and that thing's happening. And it's like, actually, what if the most exciting thing is happening in your right foot? Because <laughs> it kind of is. Because that's well, kind yeah. of all we have. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um Although I'm not going to suffer FOMO from what's happening to your foot. (laughs) No, as you shouldn't. (laughs) I'm like sitting here like, man, I wish I could feel what that foot feels like. No, as you shouldn't. (laughs) You should just enjoy your own foot and I'll enjoy my foot. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, But I could borrow your shoe and try try to put myself You could walk a mile in my shoes for the Pokemon Go, but you don't really have to. No, because that <laughs> you know, because I would barely put a dent in your seven mile running shoes. It's true. Well, do you I'm, run at all anymore? Now I do occasionally, but um, the last embodiment pre- um, st- style I was going to talk about is actually what I do now for most of my spare time, which is surfing. Okay, yeah, I've seen that on Instagram a lot. I am obsessed with surfing. Yeah, and it definitely is tapping into. You know, my therapist calls it blue mind. Okay. Which is I he a, love. Is he a surfer? She, she? is a surfer. <laughs> yeah. She's a big surfer. And it's incidental because I actually just started in May. Uh-huh. Um, but it's tapping into something where I was a really obsessed snowboarder as a teenager. I would like enter weird contests and stuff. And, um, and it's tapping into that zone for me in a way mm-hmm. that's like incredibly teenage gratifying and um I love it. I'm obsessed. I'm out there. Are you from Southern California? No. Or I grew up in Virginia. In Virginia. So mm-hmm. snowboarding over there is probably pretty different. It was incredibly different. Yeah. And it meant it meant that there was a hill uh, an hour or two away that was just like a really good park. Okay. Yeah, we did not have a good downhill situation. So all of us, like teenagers, would just like build up really rad parks and then do like <laughs> backflips and whatever, 360s. And That's impressive. It was fun. It was super fun. It was super, super fun. So 
we're not doing backflips on the surfboard, but you know, <laughs> tapping into some of that stuff. And are you are you longboarding or are you? Doing- I'm right now. I've got a longboard. I have a shortboard. I'm not quite there. Yeah. yeah. Do you surf? No, I just. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Florida, so okay. the surfing experiences that I had were all knee high. Okay. Which are which I later found out it like isn't even what Californians consider knee high because oh. like, <laughs> uh, I heard. Uh, Kelly Slater say like in the nineties that people from like Florida or people from places where there are no waves tend to say that they're bigger than they are Oh because yeah. they're so desperate. For, oh like, yeah. Even, but yeah, for us it was like Cocoa beach and stuff like, you know, we had to go far. Yeah. I had, I mean, I definitely had friends that were surfers. Yeah. I remember it, but I like, for me, it's a little bit more of like, I'm, maybe it's cause I'm not that strong of a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a terrible swimmer, but mm-hmm. I'm not like, it's just not, Something when I was a kid, I was really into it, but as an adult, I've just like kind of fallen off of it. But yeah, I just remember feeling like thrashed around. Oh, it thrashes you. (laughs) I just read this incredible book called Barbarian Days, which is this Pulitzer Prize winning memoir about growing up in SoCal and Hawaii surfing. And there's a line, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but he's like, basically surfing is like the most abusive relationship you can be in. So yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I can see, I could see how it was fun, but I don't think I got up and I was it, like, you know, it was my first time it was a short board. So it, that also didn't help, mm-hmm. but I could see it like that feeling of like being pushed forward and sort of gliding is pretty neat, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't really good enough to sort of enjoy it more than feel like I was being thrashed. Mm-hmm. But there is something, I guess, to that where you're just like being flexible and letting life take you. So yeah, yeah, it's um, it's an incredible core workout. Yes, it's exhausting and <laughs> like being my body type, which is like a cis female body type, I don't have the strong upper body, um, that like a lot of guys just get in the water and immediately can swim super hard and paddle in. And so my arms have doubled in size since starting, which is like so crazy to see. I'm sure you saw that when you were doing the PX, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like, Whoa, my body can do this. And my back is so strong. And it's just, it's just a different experience. It feels so good. But now we're hitting upon winter in California and sadly the waves are they're going bye-bye. <laughs> so there aren't waves in the winter? There are somewhat, but for I thought example, you were gonna say it was too cold, but it's not too cold. We I have an incredible wetsuit. Um okay. so I will go out in whatever temperature. But yeah, I I popped out to Topanga the other day and I th- I was like, am I at a lake? I had never seen the ocean that flat wow. in I've my life. I've never seen it that, that flat out here either. It was unbelievable. I don't know what was going on. I drove all the way up to Leo Carrillo. There was nothing up there either. Wow. So, Do you, Is there surfing in Leo Carrillo? Do people surf out there? Oh, that's one of the, yeah. one of the big spots. I don't want to blow it up. It's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful place. I've just never seen people surfing there. Yeah, yeah. That's It doesn't exist. Don't go there. Doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Um, yeah, I, but, lo- I always love the townies that are just hanging out there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's very um, territorial. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have been like, like threatened oh, there. <laughs> you guys are townies and you are super rich. Oh yes. <laughs> well, you know, sadly, I I was up there. I think Wednesday, and um, it's de- totally destroyed. You know, really? it's it's a gorgeous campsite. And it's done. It's completely the, 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 fried. Yeah. The, the, the Woolsey fire totally destroyed it. Wow. Including like even some of the sand was charred. Wow. 
from from inside in the canyon all the way past the road to the beach it was to- it is totally charred and destroyed that's crazy yeah it was really remarkable to see it i mean it looks like a true winter up uh-huh. there like a deep deep purgatory <laughs> but it also looks like change you know uh-huh. and i know a lot of people lost their homes and there were three well people three people died was it three? Only three in the Woolsey. The the camp one was a lot more people. Yeah, the camp one was. I just 80, I didn't even eighty eight. Yeah, and yeah. like that's because the tra- the fire was going sixty miles an hour, and they oh and, and everybody gosh. was stuck in traffic. Oh my god! As they were evacuating, that's oh, fucked up. Terrifying, yeah. terrifying. Um, I mean, I don't know the information a hundred percent, but that's yeah. uh, that's what I have heard about that. That which yeah. is pretty crazy. Yeah. Like. Wow. There's no escape. And that's global warming. That's like mm. 80 people just dead because we can't <laughs> fix that. It's, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. California. Yeah. There's so much. Uh, and then I also heard that because it rained after the drought or, mm. you, or you know, like there was more, um, there was more growth than usual. So it was oh. it, like, it made it, it made the fires even worse. I don't know. Oh, wow. I'm just making yeah. things up at this point. Okay. So, so. <laughs> okay. Back to this list. So, yeah. um, so the MBSR walking practice is the really slow zoom in to the way that you feel when you, As walk. you walk. Yes. Okay. And what you start to do when you do a walking meditation is you actually start to feel like not only the bottom of your foot, but you start to feel like the bones, Mm-hmm. through your legs and then you start to feel the structure of your hips and you start to pull your shoulders back and change the way that you hold yourself. Oh, okay. And I mean, it's, that's what happened for me. No one says you're going to change the way you hold yourself, but, mm. um, but a lot of exercise stuff does that. Anyway, exactly. Right? Like it's totally, it sort of fixes your, your totally, body. Yeah. Totally. Any kind of embodiment practice yeah. will have you having a different relationship with your body, which comes to this, um, technique called Feldenkrais, which I really love. And I'm currently kind that of diving. So non-relaxing in German. No, it doesn't. Feldenkrais. <laughs> yes, it's, it sounds very aggressive. <laughs> Well, Moshe Feldenkrais was this amazing practitioner who decided, like, we just need to become more aware of our bodies every moment. And so, like the walking meditation, you just do these slow movements where you... You know, there'll be a guided class and you mm-hmm. start um, you start by walking across the room, feeling the left side of your foot, walking on the left side of your foot. And then you go across the room, walking on the right side of your foot. And then you try to walk on the top of your foot and then the back. And then you try to walk as you would normally. And it kind of just rewires um, your brain to mm-hmm. say, oh, this was my regular walking. But actually the most comfortable is if I walk a little bit less on the inside of my foot. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more in the center. And then yeah. your whole alignment shifts. And it just can happen in like an hour of paying attention to what that slight muscle use does to your body. You can take that into running if you're a runner. Mm-hmm. And you can start your run using certain muscle groups and then slowly shift, use other muscle groups. And then you can run much longer. Yeah, I'm trying to think like of applying... I'm, I think that if I walked slow enough doing Pokemon Go, I might actually hit more Pokestops. There you go. <laughs> slow it down. Get that Feldenkrais the, yeah. in there. Think about the Feldenkrais. bottom of that foot. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I've started to do is like, 
kind of hold up, hold my elbow as like basically holding the phone yeah. as if I was taking a picture, you know, like how you yes. pr- press your elbows up against your chest. That way I don't have to look down so that I don't oh. get that weird hump, but I can yeah. definitely feel that thing developing. Uh-oh. So I'm look, I'm probably, I, I just like, part of me is like, man, we need Google glass so that I can play Pokemon go without That's having to want. look. <laughs> they want you to get that glass. That, that gesture that you just described where your arm is holding the camera, uh-huh. right? The phone. Um, I was driving on the PCH, um, Pacific Coast Highway the other day, and this guy was walking across the bridge filming the scene. It was gorgeous sunrise. And, and then I was like, oh, that gesture of holding your hand up, like with your finger on the button of the phone, that's going to mean beautiful soon. <laughs> like people are just going like to be a, like, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and without the phone, just the hand, like, like an applause. That'd be the inter- silent that'd be applause. Fascinating. I think it's yeah. going to happen. Let's yeah. give it five years. Five years. <laughs> All right. I'll have you back on in five years. Okay. Check let's in. do it. Five years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, definitely. That those are little weird things that uh, I think maybe not in five years, but like a gen- when we forget what it was like to not have a phone, that might definitely be a thing where you're just like, oh yeah. It's hard to remember the the landline only yeah. situation. Yeah. It's but like, how old are you? Are you the same age? Like, wh- when were you a teenager? 90s? In the 90s. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, then definitely landlines would be, uh, you don't, like, and then pagers. Did you, did you do pagers? Was, I, I never oh, know. Oh, my, yeah, I, I had front. I didn't have a pager. Yeah, I just never know if that's because, like, I grew up in Miami that I had a pager. Yeah. Because that is that's sort of so a stereotype. Funny. That's so funny. <laughs> but, yeah. My friends did. And I was like, nah, I don't want that. No. Mm-mm. It made you feel so important. Oh, yeah. You yeah. were cool. Someone's paging so, me. Oh, I got to call. Hold on. Oh, I got to call on. someone back. But you have to, like, go to a pay phone. <laughs> so funny. Which you never see anymore. There's some in this neighborhood. Really? Yeah. They, I, like, the last few, yeah. Wow, unicorns. Yeah, definitely. Wow. They're disgusting, and I would never touch oh. one. But, yeah. But it, they seem to still be functional. Wow, because there used to be a common decency to the payphone because everyone had to use it. Yeah, although, but now oh, it's like you're down and out if you got to use that, right? So my Cuban grandmother has a has a story that she used to tell us, which is like hysterical to us because if it actually happened, like the guy got his perfect audience to traumatize someone. <laughs> like, so she was saying that she was in a car at like a restaurant uh, or, or waiting for us to get takeout from us. It's a very specific restaurant, Versailles. And she was sitting in the parking lot and she saw a guy walk up to the payphones, grab one, go two, spit no. onto the receiver no. and on the earpiece, no. put it back. No. <laughs> and this is like a lot, like this is a family story that we, I've been told and then got the other one. And I was like, we, I, I still don't know if that happened or if that's a story that she tells us so oh, that we're like careful. So you don't touch the phone. <laughs> but I love, I fucking love the idea like that there is a guy out there that just traumatized my grandmother. <laughs> the phone spitter. He's out there with the supple leopard. They're walking around the world. Just go, yeah, but like, and then just the mission, you know, and like the the malcontentness of doing something like that. That's kind of a grim fairy tale, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're gonna get your fingers cut off by the phone spitter and the supple leopard. Yeah, (laughs) you're gonna get the bubonic plague. Oh, god, yeah, but. To me, that's just hilarious. Wow. Like, but yeah, so that's, that actually, I hadn't thought that story in a while, mm. <laughs> but, but very specific to, to, 
to phones. Although I imagine that our cell phones are pretty gross just to begin with. Oh yeah, but yeah. they're our own bio yeah, spheres. Like they're part of our organism. Yeah. <laughs> they're an attachment of our bodies. Totally. Have you ever tried to feel the inside of your phone no. with mindfulness practice? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I wonder if you could feel something. You know what is so enough. awkward when a stranger comes up to you and they're like, "Can I use your cell phone?" Oh, I fuck you. No. Really? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, no. No. You're no, not no. gonna help a help a person out. <laughs> no. No. Usually. <laughs> I have. A I'll let you times, use my charger. But it's, it's weird, right? I'll let you use my charger. Yeah, because you don't know if they're gonna run away with it. Is that a? Yeah. No. Like. I, I, I'm weird about lending my friends my phone, you yeah. know, to like, to make a call. Like, why do you need my phone? Oh. There's something so suspicious about needing someone's phone. Oh. Right. Like, and it is such a private thing. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I've let someone use my phone before mm-hmm. in, in the situation because I don't want to, you know, my desire to not be an asshole <laughs> mm-hmm. would probably win out in that situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I don't think it's like, I mean, when you had a landline, when people would come over to your house and be like, hey, I'm lost. Can I use can I use your phone inside the house? That's still kind of uncomfortable, too, right? I don't know. I think it's okay. <laughs> you think that's up, okay? I think we grew up in this age of, like, fear everybody. But there, there was a time where people would be a lot more generous. Like, yeah, you need help. Let me help you. Let me pull over and help you change that tire. And we're oh, just yeah. all so, like... No, I gotta go. I'm late for my opening. Yeah, you but know? There was, there's enough people that have been robbed and killed stopping to help someone like I that. I think those are like, I think those are negative I, bias, actually. I can tell that you don't listen to, to, to true crime. Well, I was big into true crime for a long time, and then I decided that it was making me a more cynical person. And now I just try to listen to comedy and, okay. and meditate and surf. And look, I'm fucking you- happy as shit. <laughs> I was very into true crime. I went down like the Truman Capote, Rachel Harrison. Like I went down some deep, dark roads. Oh, wow. So you're probably... I, I, I have the convenience of podcasting. Okay. I like the podcasts, but I think it's like... And I love the You Must Remember This Manson ones. Oh, uh, my God. Have you heard that? No, no. Yes. You need to go. Okay. Right now. That was probably... Should we turn this off so you can go listen to it? I'm probably going to do it the second you leave Yeah, the house you should. And just play some <laughs> video games, maybe take a nap. Hopefully find my wallet. Okay. Find your wallet. I think I'm going to be, like, doing some... You know, what, what are the things that people do? Like, isn't there like a saint that you can pray to for of, of lost things? That's how desperate I am. I don't know who that <laughs> is, but, but you know, there's, um, there was this mechanism, like our great, great, great ancestors had to remember if something bad happened so they wouldn't do it again and die. Right. Uh-huh. Like, Oh, there's a tiger in that cave. I got to remember this cave right yeah. here. Right. So we still have that trigger in us. Oh, absolutely. And that is the, someone's going to murder me if I go, if I go and help them change their tire. And I think it's time to go at things wisely. Like, look, I'm a woman. I can't walk down every street at night alone, you know, and I I do carry pepper spray with me sometimes. So I'm not completely an idiot, but I also think there can be a pulling back of that. Everyone's a murderer thing. And maybe something closer (laughs) to like, everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. But what I would say is that like, 
the problem is that not everybody is not that everybody's a murderer. Is the fact that people understand that people are good intentioned and they take advantage of that. Like, because I mean, I come from Florida, yeah. so I remember like story after story of German tourists getting killed because of that. Killed? Like stuff. Yes, like straight up murdered. Murdered. Yeah, like it's so like <laughs> so that shit does happen. You know, like yeah, it, like um. Or maybe it's just the media making it well, seem a lot bigger than that than it is. However, um, yeah, I mean, see, I think that I think there's a really big cultural problem, which is like, I was a kid in the '80s, growing up outside of DC in the mm-hmm. suburbs, and every single night on the news there was a photograph of an African American male. Mm-hmm. This person did this. Yeah, yeah, and it was this demonizing act. For so many years. And oh, it I still just, happens. I mean, black I don't, no, people it still is happening. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just talking about when I was watching television yeah. every single night, you know, and I just think there's this ingrained idea that that's okay. It's like, there's, there's, there is a lot of bad stuff that happens, but if you're focusing on that and then you're letting your negative bias run, you're living in that world of fear and everyone's out, out to get you when actually like your neighbor probably wants to help you because they know that if they were in trouble, they'd want you. They'd want your help too. Yeah, neighbor's different than someone on the highway, though. Yeah, but I think everyone's okay. So now what we're getting into is what's called equanimity. Okay. And so in like certain meditation practices, it's about being, it's about pulling back and saying, actually. I wish kindness and love on all people, even that person that threatens me, even that Mm -hmm. person that is that idea of like, yeah, the ax murderer, right? So what you do in the um, equanimity practice or what's called Maitri or like a compassion practice is Mm -hmm. you think about someone that is like the most loving person in your life, the most caring person. And without any complication, you think about them and you generate that feeling Mm -hmm. and then you extend that to yourself and that person, you, you then bring that out to your friends and family that you love. You then think about somebody in your community you don't know. For example, like the cashier at the grocery store, mm-hmm. someone whose story you don't know. So you're kind of randomizing this sense of like well-being towards them. And mm-hmm. then you think about somebody you do not like, someone who has hurt you or attacked you. And not, I mean, maybe not physically, but someone who has been yeah, yeah, I get a trigger saying. to you, a problem mm-hmm. to you. And you wish them that kindness which is really hard to do, to have it in like a genuine way. And Mm -hmm. then you reach out to your entire community, your entire city, the entire world, all plants and animals. It sounds super hippie when I'm saying it, but what it does is it like, it opens (laughs) up your idea to the fact that like, hey, maybe that person isn't walking towards me because they want to hit me with a bat. Maybe they actually are just like... Have you been able to accomplish that with like, let's say someone like Trump? Good question. That and is, I don't mean to be skeptical. Yeah. I, no, that's I, a really good question. That's a really you know, good question. I think it's very difficult. But what it has helped me do is not with Trump. I can't do that. Um, and that's a really good question. And that's a really good block. But what I have been able to do is extend that to, I have family, like extended families in law mm-hmm. who are Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And I am able to extend that to them. And that yeah. to me is as much... As I feel like, I feel like that's really good actually. Cause if it were me in my regular knee jerk, I'd be like, I'm not going to holidays. I don't even want to see those people. Those people are the reason why my life is ruined and my life is not ruined, but Mm. I would have this knee jerk reaction. And now, you know, I'm just like, you know, because of their life circumstances, 
they felt this was right for them. It's not right for me, but I can be, I can be open and be kind to them without bringing up that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's different, but it helps, but they're not necessarily being villainous. They're, they're, they're sort of falling into a belief system that the, cause and and like I don't think that it's an invalid practice, especially now because I think a lot of the problem that we're going through now is that even people that agree on most shit like are at each other's throats because yeah. I think that like there is sort of this sense that um that if you're not part of like I feel like there's this idea, this, this, there's this utopian sense that if everybody just got on board and, and, and just agreed, um, everything would be fine, but that's not like how the world works. Right. And, and so there's a lot of anger towards somebody that doesn't agree with you because they don't agree with you instead of trying to understand how they see it. It's more of like a... Well, you're a fucking idiot. You're Bernie, bro. Or you're, you know, you're this. Uh, you're, uh-huh. you're sabotaging my plans. You're, you know, like all of these different little things that people do that pretty much all agree, you know, uh, uh, like in, in, in very many ways. It's just interesting. Like, um, I don't think that there's a lot of talk of this kind of practice mm-hmm. in, in culture right now. I think it's a lot more uh, telling people how it should be and that they're wrong, Absolutely, which is, which is exhausting. So a a key word for me is deep listening. Mm -hmm. And I think if it's possible to extend that in most moments of our lives without completely shutting down our own voice, it can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, a part of deep listening for me is, um, radical self-inquiry. So for example, if I find myself in that infighting situation where I'm around maybe someone who's on the left and then I'm like, why are you doing that? We're supposed to be on the left. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the moment where I pull back and I say, what's the, what's the charge? What's the, what's the like friction in this Mm -hmm. moment? Cause this is something about me internally that I can't accept that there's a little bit of a spectrum here. You know, that this person is over there on the spectrum. Whereas I think like, okay, I feel really strongly about cultural appropriation. It's Mm -hmm. something like growing up, I'm a first generation American in the eighties and nineties. People were really, really harsh to immigrants. And like, I'm from Virginia. I mean, and, um, our family is from Czech Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Okay. Um, and I was the first one born here. My brother was born there. Mm. And um, we have this family myth, which is that when my brother first entered school, he was, be- he was beaten up because he didn't speak English well. And, mm. and you know, I guess the thing is, like, in that, in that time in the 80s and 90s, like, being really preppy and white and, like, whitewashed was the thing. It was yeah. cool. And now, nowadays... Everyone's like, oh, I've got this like cool multicultural pattern on and like I'm wearing like Native American stuff and there, there's mm. all this appropriation of other cultures. And it's really sensitive to me because I'm like, well, you know, 10 years ago, you guys were making fun of those people. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like it's cool to be ethnic, quote unquote. Are people from the Czech Republic considered to be ethnic? It's white. It's white. It's absolutely white. But what is appropriated is quote unquote bohemian. Okay. So that is like where that comes from. And but now like is Czech? 
Bohemian is a part of Czech Czechoslovakia. It's it's a it's a region. So there's Moravia oh, so and there's Bohemia. Wo- okay, so Bohemian yep. refers to not artist lifestyle, but to this region. So it is the name of that region, and that's like <clears throat> where people originally had that kind of lifestyle. But then the French first appropriated it, I think, mm-hmm. in the 30s, and then now it's like it's pervasive culturally. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not an expert on it again, but I did a no, little that, bit that, of research. It's and good to know. It's yeah, good to know where Bohemian comes from. I'm not offended when people say like, "Oh, this is Bohemian," you know. But well, I do. I there think, is a layer of cultural appropriation to that. No, and I think it's good to know where that comes from because totally. we get lumped in there just. By by being artists, right? Totally. And, and our lifestyle is so bohemian, but really that just means we're not, we don't have corporate design, <laughs> you totally. know, like designs on the world. Or what does it mean? It means so many different things. Yeah, yeah. But there's, that's the thing. Our, our language is so filled with words that we're not even sure where they're coming from. Yeah. And like that whole digging deep into etymology and knowing where the words, like what, what do they really mean and where, where are they coming from? And I remember growing up, certain terms that like no one said, you know, we really have to check ourselves constantly. Right. But anyhow, what I'm saying is cultural appropriation is something that I would like to look at. And I would Mm -hmm. hope that other people would like to look at. And sometimes even like artists and people who are on the left, it seems do not want to look at it. And they're just like, no, this is fine. I can, whatever I'm using this thing. And it's not my culture. There's definitely a sense there are some pretty intense racism from the left Absolutely. that 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 goes on that it gets uh it, you know it's like it's sort of that whole thing where people got pissed off at uh, black lives matter for interrupting hillary clinton and bernie sanders and it's like no right. they have every fucking right yeah. to stand up and say what are you gonna do about this shit Absolutely. we're getting killed Absolutely. and and so but i do think that a lot of people on the left are like like they don't even realize that to say that that is super racist. It's totally. it's super like, shut up, totally. <laughs> shut up. We're trying to help you, but really what they're doing is we're trying to help us. Mm-hmm. 